about a month ago, on a Saturday morning in early August, I was in Ajo, Arizona, sitting in the parish hall of the local Catholic church with 60 other faith leaders from around the country. We were getting ready to go out into the Arizona desert with No Mas Muertes, an organization that provides humanitarian aid along the southern border. And the night before, on Friday night, as we gathered for this training, there had been a, a commotion in the back of the room. And many of the leaders of No More Death had disappeared for the rest of the evening. And on Saturday morning, they told us why. While we were getting training to go into the desert, No More Deaths had gotten a call for assistance and what had started as a potential search and rescue had become a recovery operation on that Friday night. Saul Salazar had died 10 miles outside of Ajo. He was in his 50s. He had children. He was crossing the desert to return to his family in Arizona. He had been deported. They had not. No more deaths. No less murders. Works in the Sonoran Desert, placing caches of water for people crossing the desert, providing aid and recovery when they can. They also have a pretty good research arm. They're trying to capture the magnitude of the crisis of death and disappearance on the border in numbers that advocates and policymakers can use to make their case. Coincidentally, after No More Deaths published its most recent report in March, several of their volunteers were charged with federal misdemeanors and one felony, the day after the report was published. Leaving full gallons of water on federal land is apparently, in the eyes of the law, abandonment of property. Littering. So their legal strategy is to claim religious freedom, that they are compelled by their religious beliefs to provide humanitarian aid to those in need, even if it means abandoning property on federal land. To that end, they asked clergy to come to Ajo this summer and participate in water drops. Also coincidentally, this religious freedom defense is the same defense as the uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado recently. <laughs> the original title for this sermon was a Vision for Shared Ministry. And I, I had thought to, to lay out who we will be together this year. Uh, we can and will still talk about that this month. We're starting a new series of worship services on the third Thursday of the month. We're going to recruit for Open Circles, uh, our version of small group ministry that'll start next week. You're holding a redesigned order of service. We spent much of the last year getting to know each other. My watchword for the year was often, 
Let's do it the same way that we did it last year so that we can experience that together. Now that we're coming into this second year of ministry together, you and I, we're going to try some new stuff. And that's going to be fun. And probably a little stressful for all of us. But what I kept coming back to as I thought about what I wanted to say at the start of this year, I, I know we did water communion last week, but this is the first time that I get to preach for 20 minutes. <laughs> the thing that I kept coming back to was this phrase that Susan Frederick Gray uses all the time. When she writes her book, it will be called No Time for Casual Faith. <coughs> no Time for Casual Faith was the title of her Sunday morning service at General Assembly in June, like a few of you were there. Susan was speaking in that sermon about her experience as one of the faith leaders in Charlottesville, Virginia, last summer. It was a terrifying day, and it was a clarifying day. We don't have time to get caught up in what Nancy Donald McLeod calls fake fights. Problems we face are too big. And when I, when I look at, at pictures from Charlottesville last summer of Susan, one of the first things that I notice is that she's walking arm in arm with Reverend Jean Puckby, her opponent in the latest election for the presidency of the association. This is no time for a casual faith. We don't have time to center fake fights. We have to walk arm in arm. We're in a moment right now. <coughs> I came back from Apo, where it's worth noting, Susan Frederick Gray was one of the other ministers who participated, to Lincoln. The week, that was the week that the state of Nebraska executed Harry Kumar. I am still relatively new to Nebraska, so I wasn't here yet during the last referendum about capital punishment. But the more I've dug into it, as an outsider new to this state, the more horrifying it all becomes. A state legislature votes to eliminate the death penalty, in part because practical matters have made it almost impossible to carry it out for 20 years. The governor vetoes. And when the legislature overrides his veto, he funds a ballot referendum to reinstate the death penalty. When the referendum passes, the governor's office moves heaven and earth to get the execution, to get an execution, scheduled with an untested combination of drugs, and then seems to take actual glee in carrying out what he calls the will of the people. This is no time for casual. It was striking last month to have these two experiences so close together. Aho and Lincoln are a long way from each other. But Saul Salazar and Carrie Dean Moore both died because governments did not see their lives as having inherent worth. One of them died by commission, the other by omission. And our faith is not silent on this. Unitarian Universalism is not silent on this. This is wrong. 
if we're being completely honest, this moment isn't unique. Natalie Fenimore, who preached my ordination sermon, is, is famous for saying every time is hard time for somebody. Unitarian Universalists have fought against the death penalty for longer than I've been alive. And the roots of the current border crisis, if no more deaths, is grappling with lie not with the Trump administration, but in the 1994 border strategic plan. In 1994, the Border Patrol put in place a, a strategy of prevention through deterrence, closing down urban corridors that until then had been the main points of undocumented entry into the United States. This intentionally pushed crossings into the desert, which the Border Patrol in that 1994 document writes is a natural deterrent. I have spent a good part of my life hiking and camping in the backcountry of the Northeast. Long crossings were a part of my life from age 14 on, and I can describe in some detail the relative merits and challenges of the North Building Classic Trail, the Long Path, the Finger Lakes Trail, the Appalachian Trail. I have run out of water in the backcountry. I've dealt with significant injuries on a trail, and I have never in my life in an environment more challenging to human life than the Sonoran Desert. Natural deterrent is a dry phrase for what it is. Intentionally and knowingly forcing people in desperate circumstances into a life-threateningly dangerous situation. And this has been going on for decades. I'm happy to talk at more length about no more deaths they're facing at the border. But sermons are based in the community in which they're given. So here's what I hope for this year. That we do some work to figure out who we are called to be and what we are called to do in them. I, I say we intentionally for two reasons. First, you can't call a minister to do justice work for you. That's how it works. It's the work of the whole church. But more importantly, the first rule of community organizing is this, numbers matter. Numbers are heard. One person at a city council meeting, that's, that's easy to write off. Dozens of people, hundreds of people at a city council meeting, speaking with a single voice and demanding to be heard, that gets attention. When I was interviewing in Lincoln, one of the things that I found out about this congregation is that you chose as your big idea, partnership. I want us to spend some time grappling with that this year. Now I'll admit at the start, my own bias here and, and say that I have often seen partnership as a tool rather than an end in itself. Partnership to do what? Because true partnerships are relationships not only on our own terms. To me, this is one of the things that distinguishes partnership from casual relationship. When we are working together and discover places of disagreement, the goal is more important than any one individual desire. Partnership in social action requires 
that as we walk into a city council meeting, we look at each other and say, you know, we fundamentally disagree on issue A, but we're here to talk about issue B. And so today, we'll speak with a united voice. It's a, a thought experiment to put that last point a little bit more concretely. If, like me, you are passionate about ending the death penalty in Nebraska and in forming partnerships to effect that change, then at some point you have to talk to the Catholic Diocese. Now, obviously, there are points of disagreement there. <laughs> Linda Brown and I spent a morning last week at Planned Parenthood of the Heartland talking about how to reinvigorate the Unitarian Church's relationship with them. <clears throat> Don't think the bishop would be super happy knowing that. But while I vehemently disagree with the diocese's position on abortion, we do agree that the state executing somebody is morally reprehensible. And the Catholic Church has resources and relationships that can't be ignored. Who will we be together this year? We spent last year getting to know each other. At this point, I, I think you know me pretty well. My propensity for dad jokes. <laughs> now, I know most of you have a lot to do. The death penalty is going to come up again. Immigration issues are live in Lincoln and Nebraska. Our association, the Unitarian Universalist Association, is grappling with issues of race in a way that is both necessary and challenging. There's an election this fall, and Medicaid expansion is on the ballot. And you can bet I've already looked at the IRS guidelines to figure out what I can and can't say about referendums. From <laughs> Parenthetically, you can actually say which way you think somebody should vote for a referendum behind the ballot. You can't talk about candidates. We practice a faith that proclaims worth and dignity. In a time when human worth seems at best secondary concern, and human dignity, dignity in general, is not having the most prominent moment. This is no time for casual faith. And we all need to be a part of it. It's no time for casual faith. And it's worth saying that to me, at least, seriousness does not mean that we lose our sense of we are in the business of growing souls in this place and becoming more fully human. And when we lose track of the wonder and joy at the heart of life, then we aren't as effective in our advocacy. We lose something. We come to work instead of joyfully ministry. So we're going to have some fun this year. And we're going to get serious about partnership. This is no time to do otherwise. We are going to build the promised land, not the promised land that comes down from on high, like scripture says, but the promised land that can be built here by human hands, with all the faults, foibles, and 